Ever wonder why you keep having the same challenge with your kids, the same fight with your partner, or the same issue at work? What's the common denominator in every relationship you have at home, at work, and with friends? You. Understanding yourself a little bit better, identifying your motives, and becoming more self-aware is the secret to stronger relationships. In this episode of Brainy Moms, Terry and I interview the Enneagram MBA, Sarah Wallace. Sarah walks listeners through the Enneagram personality types and how knowing your type can help you drastically improve your relationships at work and at home. Whether you've never heard of the Enneagram or you're already an Enneagram enthusiast, this episode is full of amazing insights. We learned so much about ourselves from Sarah, and we think you will too. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brainy Moms. I'm Dr. Amy Moore, here with my co-host, Terry Miller, coming to you today from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Our guest today is Sarah Wallace. Sarah is an Enneagram business and life coach who helps her clients enhance their visibility, messaging, sales, leadership, and overall quality of life by creating specific strategies that align with their personality, their values, their goals, all to become more life-giving and less soul-sucking. She's also <laughs> the host of the Enneagram MBA podcast, an Elon Musk superfan, an avid spinner, and serial reader with at least five books currently on her nightstand. So glad to have you here, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here as well. Thanks for hey. having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. This topic is, I just love it. So fascinating um, and work with relationships with parenting to understand the Enneagram types. Uh, I think it's going to be super exciting. But before we even get into that, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about your personal story and what brought you here to being an Enneagram MBA coach. Well, I am a I'm mom of now an eight-year-old boy. And then I started, it's so funny. And, and when we get into talking about the specific Enneagram types, I'll, I'll share more about this, but it's so funny kind of looking back on where I started in my career for the first part, I was in an environmental compliance role, walking around rock quarries, which is so funny now because I, I would share the story. Like I got asked more than once if I was lost looking for the mall. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, you know, there were a lot of things that I, I liked about that, but it was just not the right fit. And so I ended up um, getting pregnant and then, and then I moved back to where I am now to be closer to family. And I knew that that's not the job that I wanted to do, but I wanted to work. And so I had the opportunity to try out sales, which is something I never thought I wanted to do. I was like, oh, I'm not good at sales. It's slimy. You have to be really convincing. And that's not me. But I ended up getting into marketing and sales for a publishing company. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed kind of learning about, you know, ultimately sales is psychology. And so that was really interesting just to learn more about how we think about things and are persuaded. And, and then um, there, after a while, again, learning more about my personality, um, it all makes sense. But I, I just got to a point where it didn't, it was, it wasn't satisfying. And, um, there's so many 
of us that are looking for our purpose in life. And I had been on this 10 year journey of like, what is my purpose? And so while I was in these different careers, I was also like starting all these side businesses and um, the amount of LLCs I've started. I I don't even know. Um, So there's, there's that. And um, finally though, I was like, you know what, here I am. There's people around me that I see five years ago that we used to talk about like, living our dreams and taking a chance. And I'm standing still ultimately and really circling the same cul-de-sac while they're out there taking a chance. And some of them were, became very successful. And I'm like, I'm still in the same place all this time. And so I ended up taking the leap also to focus on the parts of the marketing um, strategies that I really enjoyed from my former role, which was social media mostly, and then really focusing on the individual, less companies and more helping that individual build a brand and market themselves. And so through that, I, I love that, but I realized even with talking about specific strategies and what platform do you want to be on and let's c- create your video content in a 30 day, you know, caption content people were still struggling to hit publish. They were still struggling to hit record, or even when they did, they would take it down. And so, or they would get started and a month later just totally fall off. And what I realized was it it wasn't necessarily mindset that tends to get thrown around a lot. Like it's just, oh, you need a better mindset. I think the problem that I realized was we, we weren't understanding them ourselves. So they weren't understanding themselves enough to know that the strategy that I might be recommending that works for me, that works for somebody else, wasn't working for them, not because they weren't doing it right. It's because they had a completely different personality. They were motivated by something completely different. They had a different goal. And so it felt really heavy. And even when they were successful, um, it was hard and so and and very like draining and not sustainable. And so I brought in this self-awareness piece and the Enneagram just felt like the best container to help me kind of overlay that. So ultimately now I'm still getting to help people get visible, but when we start with learning about themselves, it becomes a much, we just let it be easy um, by pairing that with their personality. So that leads us actually into the first question that we want to ask you is um, the importance of self-awareness and that most people get it wrong? Yeah, I think a lot of times we think, oh, I should want to be this way. I should want to have a six-figure business. I should want to work this amount of hours. Or I should want to help others in this way. And I should be okay with not getting paid as much. Whatever those shoulds are. We have a lot of shoulds out there. And we we should all over ourselves. I'm sure you guys have heard that saying. And um, when you... And also, too, I will say, we also end up putting up with unhealthy habits that we we do for ourselves. We end up um, putting up with unhealthy relationships, jobs, all kinds of things, because we don't really know who we are in this moment. We don't understand exactly who we really want to be, not what we feel like we should be, but who we really want to be and where we want to go. And once you get really clear on those things, those unhealthy things that you have been putting up with are much less likely to happen. And then you're able to step into the version of yourself that is easy, that feels good, that feels aligned. And you don't have to have that pressure 
of shoulds and guilts, like so, so many of us will, will put on ourselves. And so by doing that, then you can step into work that you love or hobbies that you love or let yourself play and not be a human doing and be a, a human being. But it really starts, you know, we talk a lot about confidence, especially with women and confidence. And I think that the, the start of that, the root of that is knowing who you are and who you want to be to advocate for yourself, what you need, what you want, and then also have that inner knowing of your, for yourself about who you are and where you want to go. So tell us, so for listeners that, um, aren't familiar with the Enneagram concept with those different types, um, let's just do a, a quick overview um, of, of the different Enneagram types and well, let's hear about what it actually is first. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say how it's different yeah. from other personality tests. Yeah. What makes it different? Great question. Okay. So the Enneagram test does get, um, kind of put in the bucket of personality assessments and tests. And the difference is that it's less about behavior and more about motive, which you can see, you know, how transformative that could be for your relationships with others, with your romantic partner, with your coworkers, even with yourself to know like why you're doing something that might be annoying to somebody else or, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, they're doing this because of this. And so I love that part of it. And also with the Enneagram, it's very fluid. So with a lot of other tests, I'm thinking like Myers-Briggs, you get back four letters with strengths finders, you get back five strengths and that it's kind of, it's pretty, um, it's that's just kind of where it is. That's where you are. That's who you are. Well, the Enneagram is made up of nine different types, but within that type, there's all different ways that you might show up. So it, it is a little bit complex, but that's because we're complex human beings. And so one example of that is when you're taking an assessment or um, when you're showing up just as a human being, your type, your motive is going to be the driver of those qualities of that behavior. And but so you'll have the same motive, but what might change is when you're stressed, there is a specific path that that type will go to when you're stressed. There's also another path that goes to another number that will show up more when you're kind of living your best life, when you're growing, there's different levels of health, average health, um, you know, unhealthy health, and then living your best life again, health. And so it's there. One of the questions I get a lot is like, what types are most compatible? And it's less about the type and how healthy you are within your type. And so those are kind of the two differentiators. And then those nine types reveal, and we have all nine type inside of us, by the way. So when we go through the list, um, you, you'll probably recognize several of them that really resonate, but at the end of the day, there's going to be one that's really that core driver. And so before we talk about the individual types, can you just tell us a little bit about what our Enneagram type influences? Like where does that show up in our, in our lives? Great question. Um, it, it shows up in literally everything. So our our relationships is is one of the biggest places that it will show up, and um, also even just with the work that we do. And um, unlike some of the others that tend to show you your strengths, the Enneagram can sometimes be hard. You have to be pretty self aware and willing to to see some of the things that you maybe don't love about yourself because. What, what you'll find is that 
you actually start to see the roadblocks, the reoccurring issues that you've been having. You know, you might question like, why, why do I keep having this issue at work? Why do I keep having the same fight with my partner? Why do I keep having the same challenge with my kids? And the Enneagram kind of shines some light on, yes, your strengths, absolutely. But it also by understanding your motive, you can see where it trips you up. So uh, we'll we'll kind of get into to some of those later, but does that answer your question? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I just I wanted our listeners to understand why it's so important to oh. to dig into this, like because yeah. it has such global impact and um can describe exactly why we behave the way we way we why we behave the way we behave. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, you know, learning about ourselves. We learn about all kinds of people um, really since elementary school. We've learned about them. We've studied them. Very few of us have spent the same amount of time learning about ourselves and studying ourselves. But really, we're the common denominator in every single one of our relationships. So by lear- taking the time, what might seem like selfish time to reflect, to journal, to read, to learn, to study um, is really the kindest and, and really the best thing that we can do for any relationship is to work on ourselves, to be self-aware. Absolutely. Nice. All right. So yeah. let's talk about um, those individual types. And so, um, well, let's start with type number one, the reformer. Okay. The reformer, also known as the improver, the perfectionist. And the thing that's going to drive them, especially when it comes to, I know your audience um, is our tend to be pretty driven mompreneurs out there. They're going to have this strong desire to improve things and make them better. They are going to be driven by this mission that's bigger than themselves. So they're coming at a business idea at the work that they're doing from this. How can they, how can, what's best for the common good, not just a what's best for themselves. And they're going to be very ethical. They tend to be pretty black and white thinkers, right or wrong, good or bad. And that's that's pretty clear for them. Um, and so the thing that they're driven towards is this need to be good, have integrity. And the thing that they're running away from is to be seen um, as bad, corrupt, without integrity. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's so good. Well, let's move on to type two, And I want to hear what you have to say about that because that's what I am. So I'm a type two wing one, but tell us about type two. Yes. Okay. Um, My boyfriend is actually a type two wing one. So love, love that combo. Um, Our type twos are known as the helpers and they um, are driven by this need to be wanted and to, to feel loved. And so in, in business, kind of thinking about the work that they do, they're going to be driven to help and care for others. They're looking for ways to offer value and to, to be of service uh, some sort. So, you know, you'll think about kind of the, the careers, the typical careers, I'm sure some come to mind, but even within a specific role, they're going to be the ones that are, again, not thinking of themselves, but putting themselves out for the common good and wanting to be of service to others. The thing that they have to be aware of, and this is, I think, especially true for moms of all kinds, is that twos will um, burn themselves to the ground trying to help others. And so they are very aware of others' needs but tend to be out of touch with their own needs and wants. And when they are in touch, it feels selfish to pursue anything for them. Yeah. Does that, that resonate with you, Terry? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) What, what about the two made you feel like, oh my gosh, this is so me. Um, I think it's the, it was the core desire, core fear, that aspect that I don't know that I would have recognized that about myself 20 years ago, but you know, as I have done work in my life and kind of dug into who am I, what drives me, all that, what were things that wounded me in the past, it's always this driving force, this desperate need to be loved. I just want to be loved. And then um, seeing in my kids exactly what you talked about, that I have a, a big need to be of service, to be wanted, to be needed. Like I told Amy, sometimes I drive my older kids crazy. You know, they're, they're off on their own. I go visit them and I'm like, what can I do? What can I get for you? And they're just like, chill. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, but I've got to be able to do something. How can I help you? How can I serve you? And and then they'll be like, okay, thanks, mom. And I'm like, no, 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 thank you. <laughs> that makes me happy to be able to give and serve. So it's, you know, good and bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's very, very too. And I will say, um, it sounds like you have done a lot of self-awareness work, but I, I'll have something to say specifically for women when it comes to the type two and the type eight, when we get there is that a lot of women initially mistype as a type two, because going back to the shoulds that we were talking about earlier, it feels like you should be a helper. And so maybe you have, um, put yourself into the helper role. But what will be the difference is like, if you're really honest with yourself and you don't have to be honest with anybody else other than yourself, but for those that are truly helpers, like you're saying, Terry, it's going to feel easy. It's going to feel more natural. And there might be some of us who want to be the helper, feel like we should be the helper, but maybe it's felt like forced or really hard and heavy. Yeah. And I would, I would argue that Terry is not mistyped that she absolutely <laughs> fully embodies <laughs> type two helper. Um, so yeah. I'm excited to talk about type three, the achiever, because that is me. Yes. Yeah, so our type threes are the achiever. Um, they are also called the entrepreneur of the Enneagram. Um, and their driver in life is to be seen as successful. And so the worst thing in the world for them is that the, they have this huge fear of failure, which we all have that, right? For, for a, those of you that are a type three, um, the, it's, it's the worst thing. Like you can't imagine anything worse. And so when it comes to um, the work that you do, maybe the business that you have, you're going to have that drive to succeed. You're going to have very clear clear goals for your business, for what you want your life to be like. Um, Threes are also, they have a superpower of efficiency. So it'll be interesting if this resonates with you, Dr. Amy. Um, They... So they're in a group with our type sevens and times type eights as well called this assertive group. There's different groupings on the Enneagram and those tend to be the visionaries. Like they, they have a vision, big picture thinker, but the thing that is amazing about the three is that they don't just have a big vision. They know how to get from point A to point B. So they got a plan, they got a goal. Um, And they also have this superpower to be very 
um, intuitive. And so they can read a room and then they can kind of shape shift or chameleon to be who they need to be, um, in that particular situation, which has its pros, but also sometimes, you know, it, it can have its, its hard hardships to constantly feel like you can't be yourself. And who am I really? And I don't know if you've experienced this, Dr. Amy, but threes also at some point tend to have a moment in their life a time, a season where they finally burn to the ground. They finally have a burnout moment and there's like, it's, it's like before the burnout and then they've done a lot of work and then it's like post burnout. So the behaviors will maybe look very different, but it's usually because of some event that happened. It's just, it was too much. This, this pressure to succeed became too much. Sure. I can resonate with that. Um, And I've actually had a couple of those um, over the course of my 30-year career, um, for sure. Um, And when you said that our biggest fear is failure, um, if I make a mistake, it puts me in a tailspin. And not just for 15 minutes. It puts me in a tailspin for days. So absolutely can um, empathize with other threes who have this... um, this need to just do it perfectly every single time. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll share just for those that might be thinking like, Oh, me too. So am I a one or am I a three? And the difference is going to come down to that motive again. And so the, the mistake that you made is keeping you from being successful, potentially failing at something. Whereas the mistake for the one is so um, hard because it's like, there is a right way to do it. And I didn't do it right. Like I'm, I'm bad. I'm wrong. So it's not a, it's a subtle difference, but that just is one clue that might help you decide between those types. Oh, I'm glad that you clarified that. Absolutely. What's next, Terry? Well, type four, the individualist. And I know I've, I've read that, um, for type two, that when I'm, when I'm healthy and I'm doing things really well, I can kind of teeter over into type four. And um, I, so I resonate with some of that too. So tell us about the individualist. And I do too. That's my wing. Okay. Oh, okay. So this will be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll get into, yeah, we'll talk about that in just a second. So the, the type four is also known as the individualist, the artist, the creative, they are the creative geniuses on our Enneagram. Um, they also are capable of being extremely deep, um, having meaningful conversations, doing meaningful work is very important to them. They are very comfortable with sitting with uncomfortable feelings. And I think it was your last podcast episode. You had a guest, um, Susan, and I don't know which one of you brought up the example of the turtle or the rabbit that was, or some animal that was like sitting with somebody. Oh, as a it, was, friend. it was th- from the book. The right. rabbit listened. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. this, the, the rabbit is the type four here. <laughs> I got some type four energy um, because every other type wants to either put a positive spin on it or go into problem solving mode. But fours actually make amazing friends because they're just going to be like, yeah, that, that sucks. Like, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Um, and they are going to be driven by this need to be extraordinary, to be unique. And ultimately they want to belong for being their authentic self. They don't feel like they can be their authentic true self. And so 
The worst thing in the world for the four is to be stuck in some sort of mundane task, mundane work, um, just ordinary feeling life or job um, is going to be the thing that they're going to be running away from. And Terry, you mentioned that your type two dips into that type four energy. And that's where you go when you're in growth, you're living your best life. And that's because twos tend to be very outward, others focused, and all both twos, threes, and fours are in the feeling center of intelligence where you tend to make decisions with emotions from your heart center. Um, and the difference between the two and the four and where you want to dip into that is that twos are feel have feel the feelings of others but fours are very in touch with their own feelings and so that's that balance that that four arrow or that four energy will give you terry mm-hmm. um and just kind of helping you focus on yourself and paying attention to your own feelings yeah absolutely i see that in the my ability to be a friend that when i'm when i'm just kind of too, but I'm, I'm sort of in the needy place of, I really need that person to be a friend. I need them to love me. I need yeah. to serve and give and have them, you know, need me. And, you know, when I'm in that sort of desperate place of two, I'm, I'm not able to be as good of a friend. And yeah, I recognize seasons where I'm kind of outside of myself and I'm able to be vulnerably completely present. I want to serve. I want to help. I want to love but I'm able to do it with this quiet piece, like you said, of just listening and yeah, empathy and saying, oh, I'm here with you. I don't mm-hmm. to need me. I don't need you to fill me up. I can just be present and love on you. So yeah, there's there. It's, it's all just so fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Dr. Amy, I'd be curious what resonates with you about the four that makes you feel like you're more wing four than wing two. Um, so I'm an introvert, number one. Okay. So super introspective yeah. and um, really am on that professional bent, not that stand out, be a star. Okay. Yep. Side, right? So yeah. Yeah. Sometimes those, um, the, the type three with a stronger wing four also sometimes will mistype as a one for, for that reason. Cause type threes tend to get pegged. Like the stereotype is like, Oh, the limelight. And I'm, you know, being more extroverted. Um, and so you have that little four with the four energy. It's like, am I, a, am I a three or am I a one? So that's just really interesting to continue to dig and see what, what resonates. Yeah, absolutely. And I can pretend to be an extrovert when I need to yep. be. Um, but that's not who I am. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I'm really excited to hear about type five. My husband is a type five investigator. Um, And of all the people that I have interacted with and we've shared our Enneagram types, he's the only five that I know. (laughs) Autumn is a five. Okay. Never mind then. I know two fives. fives. So Amy, you know, Autumn, you've heard stories and that, yeah, it so fits her. I've never put that together, but she is so much like your husband. That's so cool. Yeah. I know it's so fun when you start to know like who's who's who. Yeah, the five is the investigator, the expert. They are the thought leaders of the Enneagram. Um, they their core driver in life is to be seen as capable, competent, 
self-sufficient. And so the last thing in the world they want to do is to be seen as incapable or incompetent, embarrassed in some way for not having the answer, not knowing the answer. Um, They are very curious. They are very knowledgeable. They will deep dive into a subject and become experts in in whatever subject. Um, And they want to share for the most part. And and so as a business owner or in the work that you do, their gift is going to be sharing all that they're learning with their clients, with their teammates, and give some very high quality information so that those people can make decisions based on that information. Um, and they are a, um, a little bit more introverted. They, they, I don't want to say a little bit, they're very introverted stereotypically and, um, they will, they are in the thinking center with the sixes and the seven. So their default mode when making a decision comes from their head. And so the thing that they'll have to watch out for is, not getting trapped in your head. So typically they'll withdraw to get their needs met and they'll go within and they'll kind of escape into their, into their heads. And so, you know, knowing that about your partner or your friend or your coworker, you can kind of know like, oh, they're not being mean or standoffish or rude. It's just like, they need a little bit more time to process. They need to go within and think about things more. Yeah. It's interesting. I see. Yeah. So much of that. I can hear, you know, autumn for sure. And Jeff, except that I don't, I see Jeff as more of a, an extrovert. He is an extrovert. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But he's, everything else about him is an investigator. Yeah. Okay. So, Well, so type six, um, I just think this is, I, this type is just sweet and a big place in my heart because um, my firstborn son is definitely a loyalist. So type okay. six, the loyalist. Yes, they are known as loyalists, the troubleshooter, sometimes the skeptic or the devil's advocate. And um, they they really are, f- their fear is kind of fear itself. Um, they want to be, they want to feel secure mm-hmm. and safe and grounded and supported. So that is the thing that is motivating all of their actions. And so they will feel completely um out of control when they don't feel supported, when they feel unsafe and in any way. And so they get called the skeptic or the devil's advocate sometimes and can get dubbed as a Debbie Downer in, in brainstorming meetings or like planning fun events in the future because they're going to think, well, what about if this happens? Or like, we should be thinking about this and this and this, and then we need a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. And they're not being negative they truly care. So they are very loyal and they care so much about their family, their team, their clients, whatever group they're a part of their community, um, that they want to make sure that nothing bad happens to them. And so they're going to make sure that they have a plan for a plan. And they sometimes can come across as um, anxious and um, very much also in their head. But ironically, when crisis does hit, our sixes tend to be the, the most calm in a crisis because they plan for everything ahead of time. So while they might be frantic planning for all the things that could go wrong, when something does go wrong, they're cool because they they have a plan for the plan for the plan. 
Um, And they are also very collaborative and um, they have their, one of their superpowers is this ability to take very complex topics and distill them down into bite-sized, easy to understand information. So, you know, whether you're teaching, whether you're, and it's not just teachers, just teaching of any sort, explaining a topic, um, you know, they're going to be great at sharing that information with you in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming and it's easy to understand. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, I see. Um, it's interesting. There's a there's a lot of that that I'm like I don't know. Some of that with my son Caleb doesn't quite fit. Some of the um, you know, like you said, being a Debbie Downer or whatever. But the collaborativeness, the you know, being prepared, likes to he likes to have his ducks in a row yeah, before yeah. he steps out into something. But the biggest thing I see in him that I think coincides with that type six loyalist is he has a very, very strong faith. Mm. Um, that idea, like um, the like on the list we have here, you know, it talks about the wounding message. It's not okay to trust yourself. Yes. Yep. But I, he's, he's, he asks people for help. What's your opinion? You know, what do you think about this next step? What do you think, you know, what do you, what do you think about this uh, idea, this job option? You know, he's always kind of asking for that and he prays and he seeks God's guidance. And that is this beautiful thing about him that he, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of not trusting himself, himself, but then because of that, he has such a strong grounding mm. faith. So anyway. Yeah. They, the type sixes have an inner committee. That is their thing. The type one has the inner critic, a very harsh inner critic. The type six has a very loud uh, inner committee. And they're not necessarily um, harsh or yelling at them. It's just, there's a lot of voices. And like you were saying, and um, it's like, they don't trust themselves. And so the work for the six is to get more in touch with your own thoughts and, and believe that you have the answer already inside of you and that you have the the courage and what it takes to step in and make that decision and to take that action. Right. All right. Well, let's talk about um, type seven, the enthusiast. All right, the enthusiast, the multitasker, and this type um, has a a motive to be free, to have options, to be really their everything that they're doing is driving towards satisfaction. They want to be satisfied and happy in life, and so the thing that they're running away from is being trapped in emotional. Um, uncomfortable pain or uncomfortable feelings um, because that, you know, takes away from that feeling of happiness um, of being trapped in any way. And they are also big visionaries. They come with a lot of enthusiasm for sure. Um, They are able to see the possibilities in life. And so the the possibilities for other people and paint that picture, cast that vision. Um, And they have this excitement. They're very, um, can be a very emotionally stimulating. They also really excel at finding these ideas that don't really have anything to do with each other, but then somehow piecing them together and creating something that it really is connected. And so presenting these kind of new ideas and concepts fits into that kind of visionary vibe. Um, as the, the thing that they're going to have to watch out for, um, especially in, in work and really in, in, in anything, is this ability to get really excited about an idea. 
And then a day later, a week later, a month later, um, it's nowhere to be seen. It's not on the radar. And so their follow through is something that they will have to be aware of. And this is my type and this totally resonates. And that that's the work that I'm, I'm doing <laughs> myself. It's like committing, deciding, sticking through something, even when it doesn't feel fun, even when it feels uncomfortable. Well, and you said you can't even count the number of LLCs that you've started, right? right? I was so like, that yep, fits. that's so me. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I struggled in my, my previous job was because I was in a cubicle. I was literally, I felt trapped in a box. And so my environment, um, but, but now that I know that, and now that, you know, you start to learn about yourself and your, your listeners are to do that. It's like, okay, well, I'm not going to put myself in that situation again, where I'm, I'm going to feel that way. I'm going to make sure that when I start another business or I get another job or whatever environment I'm in for me specifically, I'm going to have options. I'm going to have variety. I'm going to have flexibility in where I can work and other people it's feel like a six, for example, it might feel like the most safest, secure thing to go to the same place, to have the same job, to do the same thing. Um, and that they're going to thrive in that kind of thing. And so they might be in an environment where there is no schedule and it's just like work from anywhere. And it's like, that's going to feel chaotic and, you know, not, not be conducive to helping them thrive. And so when you know what you need and what you want, you can advocate for yourself and you can and put yourself in those situations so that you're succeeding. So good. Yeah. So type eight, the challenger. Okay. The challenger, the protector, um, they are seeking power and strength. And the reason why they're seeking that is because at the end of the day, um, they, they want to take care of themselves. They want to be able to protect themselves from injustice, from, um, somebody else trying to control them and also, um, protecting those that they are, closest with on their team, their family. And so um, they can come across as angry and sometimes intimidating, but at the end of the day, they just have a lot of passion and they are, they do not want to be controlled. Autonomy is very important for our type eights. And I mentioned earlier, you know, with women kind of typing themselves and, and accepting who, who they are and being being really self-aware. A lot of times we want to be a type two. A lot of women want to be that. And then a lot of times we don't, women don't want to be seen as that type eight because that's kind of the, the um, oh, she's so aggressive. She's so abrasive. And really, um, you know, it's very different for men and women who have this energy. For a man, they're the boss. Like they're the ultimate, this is the ultimate leader of the Enneagram. But for a woman, um, it's, you know, the stereotypes that are out there. And so women for who identify with an eight, it is a little heavy to carry around and kind of figure out how to be your true self while also kind of navigating around some of that judgment that you're getting, but, you know, accepting that, you know, everybody has to accept you. Like you don't have to be a certain way. Um, so that's just something to, to pay attention to. Cause sometimes I'll work with women and it's like, they don't want to be, they don't want to be that way. Um, they don't want to be seen as that way, but, but you know, that that's, it's beautiful. I mean, it really is. We need that power. I'm always with my seven. I'm always thinking like, okay, right now I need to dip into that eight energy. I need to be decisive. I need to be straightforward. I need to be powerful. And so there's so much, um, so many amazing things about the type eight. Mm -hmm. So of the eights that I know, well, they seem to thrive in conflict. Why is that? <laughs> well, I, 
Um, it may not, it may not be that they're thriving and maybe they are, and um, they are not afraid of a hard conversation at all. It doesn't bother them. They are extremely confident. They are extremely decisive and they want what they want. And if they're not getting it, they're going to communicate like, this is not right. Like they're going to be the one to send the food back at the restaurant. Um, my brother is a type eight and he runs a men's clothing store and he will call his vendors and his employees will say like, I cannot believe he was talking to them like that when something doesn't go right. And it's not, it's just that he wants it done his way. And they also have very strong feelings about not that there's a right or wrong way to do it, like our type ones, but they have a way to do it and they want their way to be done. And so when it's not, sometimes, you know, they're comfortable saying that's not right. Right. (laughs) That's how I want it done. Got it. My, uh, my oldest daughter um, is so so type eight. Like I see this, this in her and it is, yeah, I've seen that in her that, uh, okay. So when she was, she was, she's adopted when she was in a children's home, she was called bossy. Mm. Um, The other girls didn't like her. She was very set apart. She wasn't just one of them. She didn't fit in, in a sense, but as she has grown into a young woman, um, the, the words she's been able to embrace what we've called her, which is you're such a go-getter. You're so mm-hmm. assertive. You're a spitfire. That's always what I say about her. You know, Brianne, honey, you are such a spitfire. And so she's been able to embrace that instead of sort of the negative side as yeah. a woman, like what you're saying. And she's been able to embrace the positive. She now owns her own business mm-hmm. and she is very clear about her expectations yeah. and how things need to be done right. She is an amazing business owner. She is an amazing manager for the people that work for her. I think they get annoyed sometimes because she's very clear and very strong about what she wants, but it is, it's an incredibly beautiful energy and Enneagram type for a woman as she can embrace that and the positivity of it. Yeah. And um, I think it was Dr. Amy that had mentioned, or maybe it was you, Terry, about your childhood message. And we each have one. Mm -hmm. And for the type eights, it's that it's not okay to be vulnerable. And so for type eights, they actually are incredibly tender and and very big hearted. And the people that are in their inner circle, it will take a lot to get them kicked out. It'll take a lot to get in, but once you're in, you're in. And they they do have big hearts, but something had happened um, in, in childhood. Like all of us, we all have our own stories, but for eights, typically they felt like they could, they had to be strong. They had to be big in order to protect themselves in order to ultimately survive in whatever difficult situation they were faced with in childhood. And so that's where they are. But when they do move to health, they actually dip into their type two energy and become very others oriented and softer and more vulnerable and willing to get in touch with their own feelings. Well, that's definitely her story. She had a lot of, a lot of hard stuff that she overcame and had to be very mature at a very young age. So, all right. So the last type, uh, type nine is the peacemaker. Yep. They are the, um, the mediator and just like their name suggests, um, they are striving for peace. They are motivated by outer peace that those around them are getting along and in harmony and also and have this inner peace. And so um, they are running away from conflict, but also running away even deeper than that from being um, 
cast out of the group or like annihilated from the group because of some sort of conflict. And so eights will be out of touch a lot of times with their own feelings, their thoughts, their opinions, because they have numbed them out. They don't want to bring them up because they're afraid of rocking the boat. They want to go with the flow. And so they fear that if they speak up, even something like, I don't want to go to that restaurant or I'd rather go here. Um, and then you can, you know, all the other bigger things in life, they will kind of fall asleep to themselves because they've numbed their opinion so much that they tend to get to a point where it's like, I don't even know who I am. I don't know who, I, what do I want? Where do I want to go for dinner? And um, so the work for the nine is to start um, even something, you know, speaking up, like I, I'd rather, I would rather go I would rather go here, pick out our pumpkins from this pumpkin patch than this pumpkin patch, right? It's just little things that don't, don't really seem significant, but speaking up and sharing your opinion um, is really, is really the work for the nine. And they have so many superpowers and they don't, you know, we have this idea of leadership. We've kind of talked about like the type eight energy, very stereotypical leader, type three and type nines. This energy doesn't always get to be thought of as a leader, but they are amazing leaders. It's just, they're doing it in their own way. They are very inclusive. They are able to live in the gray. So many of us want to see, you know, right or wrong, this or that black or white, and they're okay with not knowing. And they're okay with creating space for different opinions and everybody at the table to be heard. Um, the flip side of that, sometimes in a leadership position or you know, running a company or whatever it might be is that, you know, at some point you have to make a decision at some point you, you're, you have to make a call. And sometimes that can be difficult for the type nines who aren't sure who I am. What do I want? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we need to take a quick break. Um, let Terry read a word from our sponsor, Learning RX. And then when we come back, let's dig in a little bit more about, um, what this looks like in terms of parenting um, and maybe some roadblocks that um, we see in leadership. Let's just apply this uh, when we come yeah. back. Okay. Is your child struggling in more than one subject in school? Have you tried tutoring but still aren't seeing the improvements you were hoping for? Most learning challenges aren't caused by a lack of instruction. They're typically caused by cognitive skills that need to be strengthened. Skills like auditory processing, memory, reasoning, attention, and processing speed. Learning RX one-on-one -on -one brain training programs are designed to target and strengthen the skills that we rely on for thinking and learning in every subject. Learning RX can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, they've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. They'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give Learning RX a call at 866 Brain01 or visit learningrx.com. That's learningrx.com. And we're back talking to Sarah Wallace about the Enneagram. And so, Sarah, um, now that we know a little bit about each of the types, um, you mentioned that there are some common roadblocks that women in leadership can face based on their type that keep them from performing their best. Can you talk um, about those? 
Like, should yeah. we just start at type one and go through the yeah, list? I'll keep, I'll keep it. I'll try and keep it short, like one or two for, for each yeah. one. And and then if you want me to just pause and you want to say something, then we'll just, we'll do that. But I'll, I'll go through it pretty quickly here. And then we can talk about it after. Okay. So the type one, we talked about, you know, being the perfectionist. And this is the thing that is going to hold our type ones back in any sort of leadership role is the need to be perfect. And sometimes they will actually miss deadlines because a project isn't perfect enough, or they'll say that they're going to start something and they won't put it, they'll start it, but it's just, oh, so much time and stress and energy goes into perfecting it. And as we know, there is nothing that will ever be perfect. And then especially when you're doing something new, it's not going to be right. It's not going to be perfect, but the the only way to get there is to get started. So that will be the work for the one to unblock themselves from stepping into that version of who they want to be, that powerful version. Um, the type two being the helper, um, especially in, in, in business. Um, I don't know if this will, how much this will resonate with your listeners. Um, but you know, if, especially if you're running your own company of any sort or consulting, um, they love to help. And so their content that they put out is all going to be so helpful. But when it comes to selling their service or selling themselves, it's going to be very hard for them to say, buy from me. I'm open for business because they want to be that helper and that feeling like, oh, I don't want to feel so salesy. And then type three, the achiever, um, the, the work for them. Well, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things. I think just, um, you know, very specific is that sometimes it takes a minute for something to work. And so an example that is coming to mind right now is this, you know, putting ourselves on social media, or maybe it's starting a podcast or starting a blog. And our type threes are going to immediately go to the results. What are the stats? How is it doing? And it's like, oh my gosh, it's not working. Nope. Didn't get enough likes. Didn't get enough downloads. This is not working. I'm a failure. Let me start something new. So just reminding yourself that it's it takes some time and it, you're not going to see you know, results right away. And then the other thing is just to remember, and I think this goes for a couple of us, but especially the type three in, in any sort of working role is that you are also, you are worthy without doing anything. And this is like a little bit more, more deeper, but this is really important for threes to, to start to realize. And logically they might understand this, but then in practicality, it's a very difficult message to actually embody that you are a worthy human being by sitting on your back porch and sipping on coffee and doing a work prospect. Or I don't know how, what are we like? I don't know how old we are. What do we do? Um, just reading a magazine or reading a book, like you're still, you're still valuable um, with being on vacation and not responding to a single email or doing a single project. So that's just something to remember. And that's not something that happens quickly. It's something that you will continue to have to remind yourself of. Um, type four, their challenge is going to be because they want to be creative, because they want to be unique, they might get an idea for a business or a new project. But it's like, well, gosh, Somebody's already talking about that. There's 10 other people doing that same thing. And at this point in the world, there's not really any truly 
one of a kind ideas. It's going to be putting your unique spin on it and the way that you say it and the way that you talk about it, there's still a spot in the marketplace for that idea or that new business with your creative, unique touch to it. The type five may hold themselves back from speaking up in a meeting, from starting um, their, yeah, starting a business to doing a live or starting a podcast because they're going to think, I don't know everything there is to know yet. I, I, what if somebody asked me a question and I didn't know the answer? And just to remind yourself that you know enough right now, especially if there's a person one or two steps behind you, you already know so much more than they do. So get started helping them with what you know now. Um, type six, they're going to, and we kind of talked about this with, with Terry, um, and just that they're going to hold themselves back because they're going to, before they take an action on their idea, on their business, inside a meeting, they're going to need to know like 10 other people's opinions about this. And really, it's just, what do you think? What what You can absolutely gather other people's opinions. There's a place for that. But ultimately, you are inside your body, you're inside your brain, and you really do know what's best for you and what you truly want. So trust that. And then for the type sevens, um, we did we did talk a little bit about um, their need for structure. Um, ones go or sevens have an arrow to a one. So I'm always saying, you know, dip into that structure, routine, um, kind of disciplined <laughs> energy. And bring put some guardrails on your big ideas because it's so, it's so tragic to have all these ideas and they're great ideas, but nobody will ever get to see them or very few people will if you don't continue on. And you don't have to continue on because that can feel scary to a seven to think like, oh my gosh, if I start this idea, then I have to do it for the rest of my life. If I start this podcast, it has to be forever. And it's like, no, what you can do to channel some of that one energy is just to say, I'm going to give it everything I can. I'm going to put in the structure. I'm going to put in the routine and I'm going to do it for 90 days. I'm going to do it for six months. And if after that, I still don't want to do it, then I'll, I'll try something else, but at least give it a chance to grow its legs. And then the type eight, um, their work is going to be around vulnerability. So as a leader, we kind of talked about how they might come across as intimidating and they might shut down others' voices and their teams may not feel seen or heard because it's my way or the highway. And so channel that arrow to your two and allow yourself to soften, allow yourself to be vulnerable. Maybe um, as a business owner on a podcast, you share a story about a failure or um, when you're sitting next to a a, a person on your team, you share about a time that you messed up and make yourself more relatable um, and open to hearing, open to sharing those times about yourself and also listening to your team and those around you who might be having a hard time and and feel... um, see them and, and hear them. And then lastly, the the block for the type nine is just going to be tuning themselves out and not knowing what they want and being on default mode. We talk about, you know, there's that example of you get in the car and then you, you get home, but you kind of forget how you got here. That is the type nine. They are very asleep to themselves in the average health. And so waking up and figuring out what do you want, where do you want to go and stepping into that. So fascinating. Oh, yeah. And I just, I, everything you said, I could, yeah, think of some of my, my older kids, other family members, dear friends, myself, you know, and just be like, check. Yep. Oh, that. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
And, and when you know about other people too, and even if you don't know their type, but maybe somebody's coming at you with some of that like eight aggressive energy, it's really easy to be like, oh my gosh, they're so mean. They're so such in a bad mood. But when you can just, and it's hard in the moment, but just think like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine like what they're going through inside to feel like they can't be soft, to feel like they can't be tender and vulnerable. Like that must be so hard. Like your response is going to be so different than if you're thinking the opposite. Right. Absolutely. Good advice. Mm -hmm. Goodness. Okay. So tell our listeners, um, uh, let's talk about, um, talk through these different types and how that relates to motherhood and how that might impact our kids. And again, we can just go real quickly through the different types. Um, Yeah, I think, again, this is super important because our kids have different types and sometimes the way we are might work really, really well for one Mm -hmm. child and might drive another child absolutely crazy. Okay. So do, should, do, do we want to start with the nines and go backwards for something yeah, different? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's switch it up. I know. I always feel bad for nines and eights because I'm like, <laughs> you guys always are last. Um, okay. So we'll start with the nine. Um, so as parents, nines are very perceptive, very understanding, able to empathize. They come at you know, at, at problems with humor. Um, and they're going to be creative thinkers too. And, and their kids are typically always going to feel very understood and very supportive. Their nines are going to come at them with like trying to keep the peace and where they might run into some challenges as a parent is that they are constantly in like conflict counselor mode, which can, which can get exhausting. Um, and also because of their afraid of conflict, they might struggle with boundaries, but I mean, you guys are, are the experts in this, but I know that kids need some sort of boundaries, some sort of structure. And, and so that's kind of going to be where the, the nine will want to kind of lean into. How can I do this in my way, still adding boundaries, but feeling aligned? Um, well, and let me just say, yeah. and maybe they need to learn to teach their children conflict resolution skills so that they're not the ones always having to jump in and resolve those conflicts in order to, to keep that peace. So that's, good. Yeah. 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 I might just, I'll just see if like, if you want to add anything to some of these, because you guys probably have completely different perspectives and insights. Um, so the, the type eight, um, are, are, are going to be leader, they're leaders and they're going to be leaders of the family. They're going to be pretty firm with their children. Um, they're going to expect them to take personal responsibility and to be tough in the face of challenges. Um, and also to pursue their dreams relentlessly. So what an amazing parent, right? Um, they, they are going to be natural disciplinaries and tend to shy away from vulnerability, which, um, you know, as, as a child that can feel maybe suffocating or you're not allowed to express your emotions. And then, you know, you end up with all, you know, different issues later on in life. So, you know, as a parent understanding that that might be your natural tendency is to go to discipline or just pull your pants. What was the saying? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but really again, leaning into that tenderness, that vulnerability, that empathy that the two has when you're approaching a, a challenge that your child is having. Okay. Um, type sevens are going to be really fun parents. <laughs> they're going to play games. Tend, they're going to tend to be really come up with creative ideas, pretend. Um, and the, the, the challenge though of a child of a type seven parent is sometimes that kind of just 
oh my gosh, I got an idea. Let's do this or let's do this can feel overwhelming if, if your child is not at all that way. So if your t- child has more like one vibes, um, that's going to feel like very chaotic and stressful. And then so, similar to the nine, um, sevens don't aren't the best at putting in boundaries and structure. And then especially with a, a family dynamic where you have a partner at home, um, sevens don't want to do the housework. <laughs> they don't want to do the cleaning or the cooking and they're going to want to be the good cop. And so the other parent potentially has the, the is going to come to a point where they're feeling a little resentful because they're not carrying their weight. And why do I always have to be the bad cop? So be, be aware of that as, as your type seven um, parent. Yeah. Definitely. I can feel the eight and seven (laughs) in my, in my home. (laughs) Uh, So the type six parent um, is again, their children will always feel very supportive, um, very, um, yeah, that very safe. And the, the type six parent is going to make sure that it's like, they're going to be compassionate. Um, they're going to let their children know that you can always count on me. I am here for you. They are hardworking. They are dependable. Um, and, and they really have a tendency to be parent, like they're very parental just in general. And the, the way that they're going to just have to on, be on the lookout for is over going overboard in the production protection department and not allowing your kids to make mistakes and learn those lessons and potentially even make them feel um, either overwhelmed by that, their own anxiety or um, pro- project that onto your kids that the world is unsafe. And yes, there needs to be lessons, but there also um, needs to be, it's, it's not always unsafe. And there are things, you know, just kind of that, that balance mm-hmm. um, to be, to be aware of that you're not putting too much of too much of the fear and worry on those. And the type five parents are going to put an an emphasis on exploration and discovery and and maybe even make it a point to travel and expose their children to all kinds of ideas and different ways of thinking. Um, They're going to be very patient and very curious with their kids, um, but they can be prone to introversion. Not every five is an introvert, like we were talking about Dr. Amy's husband, but that's a commonality with our type fives. And so understanding that your kid's social needs might be very different than yours. And so allowing them to be in more social situations, allow that, that extrovertedness, giving them those opportunities to kind of balance out that, even though it might feel kind of uncomfortable for you. Um, the type four parent is going to be um, extremely creative again and um, inventive, and they're going to um, give their children a safe place to express themselves. The The children of a type four will grow up with a strong appreciation, most likely for arts and creative outlets and have a good grasp on their emotional states and how to discuss them. Um the the flip side of that is that sometimes the the four parent might emotionally overwhelm their children, um, and that can especially for those children that don't share those same characteristics. And so, um, 
you know, just to be aware of that and managing your emotions in front of your kids. And then also fours can tend to be introverted as well. Again, not always, but, and they are that individualist. So they kind of have this energy with like, well, do whatever you want, like just do you, but there is a place in, in our lives where we do need to be accepted into a social situation. We do need to be a part of the group. And so allowing your kids to, to be able to thrive and give them experiences in group settings and those social settings too. Um, is this okay? Or is it, do you, do we want to pause? Okay. No, awesome. I think so. I think this Perfect. is great. Yeah. Okay. Like okay. I'm captivated. So I think uh, okay. exactly. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners are captivated right now too. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good, good, good. Um, and then the type three, we talked about um, those achievers. So they are the natural cheerleaders, the coaches, they're going to their kids events, to their sporting games, um, and then always pushing their children to be their best. And their kids are most likely with that efficiency energy that the kids, that the threes have, um, their children are probably going to be organized and pretty responsible and, um, exposed to all kinds of extracurricular activities and be encouraged again, like the eights to pursue their goals and their visions. Now, where this kind of gets tricky sometimes for the children of a three is that they will, could feel too pushed to succeed, kind of feel the pressure of achievement. And especially as kids, right, to have such a full schedule, it can feel exhausting for for a kid. Um, So again, just be aware um, of, you know, how you are and the difference. Again, like you said, Terry, you might have one kid that that totally works with, but then there might be another one that doesn't. And just being aware of yourself, how you are and and how your kids um, might feel like they're not living up to your expectations in some situations. And then my youngest is a three. Okay. So at first I thought, oh, I've created a three. But when I look at his personality and I look at the choices that he makes, he's making those choices to fill his schedule. He's making the choice, you know, to excel. I mean, I, it's really interesting to watch your spawn, (laughs) like (laughs) take on those same characteristics without you pushing him to do that. Oh, that's such a fun word, spawn. (laughs) (laughs) And I do see that in your kids, Amy, that everything they do they do with greatness. I mean, my goodness, it wasn't just getting in the military and ah, kind of doubt. I mean, he was the best, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it was and anything your kids have tried. They don't just kind of do it mediocre. Right. They're, they don't settle for. Right. For good enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're the best at what they do. But I do want to venture to say that I've, I see in you that parenting style, but then you also have this unique ability to then go, Hey, that's okay. You don't have to take that class that you really, you have a great way of also backing off so that I don't see your kids being paralyzed with having to be the best. Right. Well, I'm a four wing, so I'm absolutely about you do you. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And you're probably in a really healthy place emotionally, and, and that's kind of like somebody who was a type three that maybe hadn't done the work, the self-care, the learning, the studying um, might be more that way. But ironically, the more that you grow, the less like your type you look like. Huh, sure. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, I think you're a great mom. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Terry. <laughs> I admire her listeners. You can, you can tell I admire her parents, but <laughs> all right. The twos. Okay. The twos, the helper parents. So Um, They are 
again, their children are going to feel very supported. They are very positive reinforcers. Um, They are going to feel, their children are going to feel very loved and very nurtured and have everything that they need. And um, Terry kind of already talked about this. So the, the challenge for the type two parent is going to be at some point stepping away and letting their children kind of step out on their own. And then, you know, we've seen kind of those, maybe those like, I don't know, Hallmark movies or movies on Netflix where it's like empty nesters. And now like the mother doesn't know what to do with herself because she's kind of neglected her own needs and her own wants for so, so long. And so um, eventually though, especially you know, when you do have younger children and they rely on you for more, that type two parent, if they're not paying attention to themselves, can ex- also experience burnout and frustration. And so it is important. We talk about self-care, it gets thrown around a lot, but especially for our type two parents out there, like th- this is th- this is real advice. This is advice to take to heart. Um, otherwise, you know, it's hard to show up for for your family, for your kids, when you yourself are, are burnt out and feel mm-hmm. tired. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or you can just be really, really crazy. Like I am and <laughs> never, no, no, I was going to say never be an empty nester because you have nine kids. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, I have a 27 year old and a nine year old. And so oh you know, yes. just so keep having kids, kids and then coming over. So you always have somebody to help, <laughs> but in Terry's defense, Terry is <laughs> very good at self-care and taking a break. And she's a um, an advocate for mommy sabbaticals and momcations. And so um, I think that she recognizes that need. You are kind. I don't know that I'm very good, but I try. <laughs> I really strive for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just to have the awareness that yes. like that is important and that's something I need to do. Yeah. Uh, you're already ahead of ahead of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So type one. And then type one as a parenting, they are the, the perfectionist and they will have very high expectations for their children. Um, they will create like a very um, secure environment with you know, very clear boundaries and healthy discipline, but they might struggle a little bit with spontaneity and temporary disorder or mess, which is inevitable with kids. And they might, they, they can sometimes too get, get a little judgy because they have that right or wrong, good or bad, this, you know, black and white thinking. Um, with other families or how other parents are raising. Um, and then also even, you know, with, with their, with their own children. And so, you know, allowing fun and channeling ones have a, a arrow to a seven. So channel some of those, you know, seven vibes and bring in the, the spontaneity and allow yourself to not always have the structure and to be okay. Um, and, and mess sometimes that will inevitably come up in all areas, whether you have children or not. That's good. Hey, I want to, I want to real quick mention, I know we have gone so long, but this is just so fascinating. I want to really quickly mention that I think it's, it's super valuable also for our listeners to understand the idea of the wing, because I think um, uh, like, I'm going to just mention two people in my family. Like I mentioned, my oldest daughter is such a spitfire and she is very much, I see that eight energy in her. And then she is in what I see in her as a parent, because I have three grandsons, she has three precious little boys. And so she is an eight wing nine. 
And so there's, there's a lot of peacemaker in her. Um, she has a lot of empathy. Her uh, biological family, she's had so much struggles and pain with, but she has a lot of forgiveness and just, just this incredible mix because of her wing. And then I have another family that I really see as an eight wing seven. And that's as a parent, they are completely different. Even though I would say they both (laughs) have the primary Enneagram energy as Enneagram eight, eight wing nine as a parent is so different than eight wing seven. Just real briefly, not every single category, but tell us a, a little more about that wing aspect. Yeah, it, it definitely influences how you um, how you show up, and even within. So there's the wings that will influence, and then there's also something called um, natural instincts or subtypes, where you have your type, and then when you dig in even deeper, you're going to be a self preservation eight in this case, or a social eight, or a sexual or one to one eight, and each three of those have different energies. So you can imagine. I hopefully this isn't overcomplicating things, but let's say you're a social eight wing seven, you are going to look very different from a self-preservation eight wing nine. And so that's where some of that, the, the Enneagram really is a self discovery process. Nobody can tell you what your type is. It's you kind of taking the quizzes, reading, reflecting, And sometimes it can get a little confusing because it's like, well, I don't do this, but I do this. And sometimes people really resonate with a a wing and sometimes they don't. So take it or leave it. But the wings I have found to be very helpful and just helping me understand um, how I'm going to show up. And again, like what's important to me, like how I'm, how, like also like where I might struggle. (laughs) Why am I having these same issues Um, as a seven wing six, right? Right? And so it it, do, it can be helpful. And that's the beauty of the Enneagram is once you understand your core motive that comes through your core type, then you can start learning about the wings. You can start learning about those natural instincts and all the other pieces of the Enneagram that just give you more information and clues about yourself. So good. There's just so much we could go on and on, but I know <laughs> it's my, not too long. My sweet Three Wing Two just brought me coffee from my favorite coffee shop. Aww. Thank you, Evan. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, um, all right. Now that we've gotten everybody excited about this whole Enneagram typing, (laughs) uh, tell our listeners how they can find out what their type is and uh, what to do once they figure it out. Yeah. Well, there is a there's a book called The Road Back to You by Susan Steibel. And she recommends um, learning about all the types, just reading the types and typing that way. There is a quiz, a very short quiz um, through Truity. And I'll send you that link um, if you want to put that in your show notes. And that'll give you back some results. I always say don't get married to any type of quiz that you take, especially in the beginning to the results, because um, it's just giving you clues. It's At that point, it's helping you eliminate more so than narrow it down to to the one that you are. And then when you get back your results or when you start to think, or even listening today, oh my gosh, you know, there were two, three, four, maybe types that really resonated with me. Um, Blogs, 
podcasts, books. There's no shortage of information out there to start studying yourself. And that always doesn't, we want to know right away. Well, what, what am I? What am I? But the beauty with that process is that you are, it's part, it's part of the process. You are learning about yourself. You are asking yourself questions that you have never asked before. You are thinking about things when it comes to how you handle situations that you maybe have never thought about before. So however you get to your type, however long it takes, some people know right away. Usually that's our fives and our eights tend to be like, yep, that's me. (laughs) Can't be any other type. Um, But, and then there's others that they might think, oh, I think I'm this type and then realize, gosh, this just just isn't resonating. And so that's okay. Don't get married, be open to it being something different, but um, eventually there will be a moment. And I don't know if you guys want to talk about that for yourself, but where it's like, oh my gosh, this is, it can't be anything else. And the one practical tip that I'll give you for getting to that point, maybe a little bit quicker is to look at your, the, the, what they call arrows on the Enneagram, what number you go to in stress and what number you go to in health and try those on and see which ones feel most relevant. I get that feedback a lot from clients that when they started exploring those arrows, they realized, oh, there's no other number that I could be except for this type based on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had similar experience. Yep. Yeah. All right. So you have a podcast, you have coaching services to tell our listeners about that. Yeah. And, and just speaking of your type, I do have um, a specific guide for your listeners to how it's called, how to tell what type you are. And it's at sarahlinco.com forward slash brainy moms. And so I'll send you that link. And then I do have a podcast called Enneagram MBA. And we really, um, there's all like we've talked about today, parenting, romantic relationships, workplace, leadership, all kinds of ways that you can apply the Enneagram. And for the most part on my podcast, we're hearing from other leaders, business owners and how they approach work based on their type. So they'll, they're always sharing about what it's like to be that type and then sharing their expertise when it comes to getting visible in the workplace with your business, marketing, sales, those kind of topics. So I would love to have um, your listeners as listeners as well, if that feels like a fun topic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I want to point out listeners. um, She has a fantastic um, blog, uh, that's a leadership style by Enneagram type that, um, I just really was a huge fan of just goes through each type really describes, it goes through those, um, you know, core things, your woundings, you know, it just, it really helps you, um, figure everything out. And she's got that written out and she also has a video within that same blog. So I would recommend that you check out that page on her blog, on her website, Sarah Lynn CO. Am I getting it? Sarah Lynn CO.com blog. And it's leadership style by Enneagram type. Great one to check out. Oh, thanks you for pointing that out. Yeah. That is, that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So we are out of time and need to wrap up, but this was a super informative and really fun conversation. So we just want to thank our guest today, Mm -hmm. Sarah Wallace for just digging into the Enneagram with us. Um, Listeners, I hope that you got some insights and some inspiration and are ready to go uh, look work on self-discovery and self-awareness using the Enneagram as your map. So if you'd like to connect with Sarah, um, we will put her social media handles and a link to her website, sarahlinco.com, in the show notes. 
Um, she's also offering 20% off a Know Your Number Typing and Next Steps coaching session just for Brady Moms listeners. And she mentioned that that um, link to sarahlinco.com forward slash Brady Moms to take advantage of that special offer. So thank you so much for listening today. If you liked our show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd rather watch us, we are on YouTube. You can follow us on social media at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know that you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we are out. See ya.